Hi, my name is Michael Lowe, and this is May I Ask You a Question. It's a Christian interview podcast that seeks to know and articulate more of who God is and what he's doing. My first guest is Tim Burns. He's a missionary in Nagoya, Japan, with his wife, Chie. They have one son, Mitsuki, and two daughters, Emmy and May. If you want to get in touch with Tim, his email and Instagram handle are in show notes. Thanks so much for listening. Tim Burns, welcome to my podcast. Thank you. It's Michael Lowe and Tim Burns. Um, Tim, I have you here as my first guest, and I uh, would love to hear uh, about you and um, your life as a missionary in Japan, but also uh, how you decided to, and at some point were led by God to become a missionary, um, and kind of that journey. So maybe you can start by telling your testimony, how you became a believer, and we can go from there. Sure. Um, I was uh, a pretty rebellious kid growing up. I uh, actually grew up in the church. I was about 11 years old. I I really started questioning uh, Christianity, questioning scripture, um, and I I turned away from the church at 11, um, really because I felt like Christians were hypocrites. I did not understand the gospel of grace. I did not understand uh, what it was that Jesus gave us on the cross. I thought Christianity was a, a, a set of rules that you had to follow in order to make God happy in order to get to heaven. And um, I thought no one can possibly keep all those rules. So, and, and the hypocrisy, the thought of hypocrisy came in because you said you saw all these people breaking the rules that they told you to follow, anyways. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I still believed in God. I still believed in heaven and hell. I just believed I was destined for hell, and I could never be good enough to he- to get to heaven. Uh, Did you think that everybody else was destined toward the same fate, anyways? Like, but they were just all self deceived. Most people. <laughs> so maybe there was a few who who you had selected a that couple would, saints that or something. Sure, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I thought most people were just self deceived. Okay, um, and so I was angry at God uh, that He'd hold me to a standard He knew that I couldn't keep. Hmm. Um, and so from eleven to eighteen, I was I, I was kind of the typical nightmare kid for my parents. I mm. uh, ran away a lot. I spent a lot of time uh, just seeking my own pleasure. Blatantly so. Yes. And um, at 18, I got in trouble with the law. And uh, the officer who was there, <laughs> uh, when the thing happened that got me in trouble, <laughs> uh, knew my dad from church. And he said, I'll give you a choice. You're 18, and so you're going to be in big trouble if we head down to the station. Um, so you can come to the station with me or you can come to church camp this summer. <laughs> <laughs> I said, fine, I'll go to church camp. Because um, you would have been charged as, as an adult. Yeah, I would have. And that would have gone on your record. Yes. And that would have been very bad. It would, yes. How 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 far into the future was church camp from that point? Uh, maybe a couple weeks. Oh, okay. okay. And so I went to church camp and this officer... Uh, escorted me there and made sure I didn't run away, <laughs> uh, which had been my plan. But um, uh, I get there and and we we go through a couple days of camp and 
Thursday night's the big night when you're supposed to give the gospel presentation and everyone cries and raises their hand. Uh, but this Thursday night, the speaker got up there and he read the Ten Commandments and he said, basically, none none of you can live up to this standard. Hmm. And you are all under God's judgment because of that. Which resonated immediately with your skepticism. Exa- well, that's, I, I just kind of sat back and said, that's what I've been saying. <laughs> yeah, finally somebody who understands me. <laughs> yeah. The very next day, the next morning, Friday morning, he got up and he read Second Corinthians 5.21, which says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. Hmm. And uh, not because of any great wisdom or insight on my part, but because the Spirit had opened my eyes, I understood what that verse meant for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. That um, Christ on the cross had become our sin. All my sin had been placed over on him. But not only that, I understood for the first time the second part of that verse, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. All Christ's law-abiding righteousness was now placed over me, over anyone who believes. So all of our sin on Christ, all of his righteousness on us, our punishment on Christ, his reward on us, thanks to the cross. And um, I, I was saved that moment. I didn't, I didn't even hear the guy's sermon hmm. because I was just sitting in the back bawling. And after he was done talking, I ran up to talk to him. I said, hey, I think, I think this is what this verse means. Am I right? And he said, yeah, you are. Um, what, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I've got to tell my friends. So you got you want to tell your friends you want to be an evangelist? I think so. I just want to tell my friends. Have you ever thought about being? Because you were so excited in the yeah moment. yeah. He goes, "Have you ever thought about being a preacher?" And I've been a Christian for like five minutes, so I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, four minutes ago I thought yeah, of it." Yeah. <laughs> well, no, not until right now. And uh, and he said, "Well, you should go study the Bible." And he suggested that I do it at this place called the Master's College down in L.A. And um, which is now the Master's University. It is, yes. Yeah. Um, and so I had just finished high school, and uh, I decided to head down to Did You, did you didn't have a, a college plan before that? No, no. Just I thought college was for suckers. <laughs> Much like Christianity? <laughs> yes. <laughs> My things changed quickly for you. I, in, in an instant. Um, and so I found myself this previously Christian-hating... Christ hating Antichrist. Right. <laughs> Heading to LA to study the Bible. Um, I couldn't believe it. Did you have a lot of moments where you just sat there and were like, what in the world just happened in the past oh, like, yeah. few months? Yeah, what's going on here? Why am I reading scripture and right. loving it now? What like, did that police officer say? When? Uh, like, so he, he told you to go to camp with him. Yeah. Or he would give you a citation. Yeah. And then I assume you went and told him. I did, absolutely. And you thanked him uh, and... Gave me a big hug. Um, we cried together. He said, this is what I've been praying for. Do you think he had been thinking of you for, like, thinking and praying for you for a while? Um, I don't know. It, he was kind of in the periphery of my life. I knew him as a kid. So probably not until okay. he caught me that night sure 
but I know that for my mom and my dad, uh, my uncle, many people had been praying for me for years and years. Were they skeptical of your conversion? Uh, at first. Sure. Um, but my behavior changed so drastically. Yeah. I think that kind of, you know, the, they'll be known by their fruits, right? Right, right. Um, so it's like, we'll see type of a... Yeah. Like, wow, you do, you do look like you've changed, but we'll see yeah. long term. Yep. And so at college... Um, well, one other question. Yeah. Sorry about the message you heard. Had you not heard that before, or do you think that for the longest time you kind of didn't want to hear it, and it was probably presented to you, and you just were like, whatever, like, it it, it just didn't, what you had heard before didn't overcome the perception that you mm-hmm. largely had. I'm sure I'd heard it many times before. Yeah. From my mom, um, from Sunday school. Sure. Singing church as a kid, I know I've heard it. Yeah. But I never heard it with um, an enlightened mind. And by that I mean the Holy Spirit coming <laughs> yeah. and giving me the light to understand, um, giving me ears to hear, giving me eyes to see, right. giving me a new heart. Right. So if somebody had come and said that to you, like maybe even getting, getting the, almost getting the citation probably helped wake you up a little bit more too sure. and make you a little bit more fertile for that. Yeah, absolutely. That to happen. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you, sorry, I interrupted you. You no, no. In college. Uh, in college, um, I... I, I've been going for a year, um, and you, what you need to understand is, um, so I'd been a Christian for like a year and a couple months, mm-hmm. and I had an entire year of Bible college under my belt, which means I knew everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's so unique for an 18, 19 year old. <laughs> I, I thought I knew everything. <laughs> Um, and, and the summer after my freshman year, uh, I was invited to go on a short-term trip to Tokyo. Okay. Uh, I had no real interest, no interest in missions really at all. Yeah. Uh, but there was a cute girl on that team. <laughs> <laughs> and so... <laughs> Are these the fruits of your... <laughs> Anyways, keep going. That, that's, that's what got me to Tokyo. Okay. Um, and, and being a super proud... Um, know-it-all, I thought that I'd get to Japan and people would just throw themselves on the ground in repentance. Sure. And and there would be a mass uh, uh, revival. Just, I would just open my mouth and people would turn to Christ. Yeah. And t- much to my surprise, this wasn't happening. What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, when you think of that, like... It, it, I guess when I think about that age, right? Like you're almost kind of there's a blurry line between like just your excitement for the gospel, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. But then you're kind of almost blindsided by your own youthful arrogance at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, like was... you're well intended to some point, but then you think that I'm I'm going to be the greatest vehicle for this. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, God really needs me here. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> the gospel could not go forth without and, you there. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I mean, my pride plays a huge role in that, of yeah. course. Um, and so when that's not happening, and I, I keep talking during this trip to missionaries, who keep telling me how hard Japan is, what hard soil it is. And on top of that, I'm from Seattle, and I'm not used to hot hot summers. Oh yeah. And Japan 
It's stinking hot. It's man. muggy as all get it's out, right? It's muggy as all. It's like living inside a mouth. <laughs> I haven't done that, but I'll trust you. I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's very muggy and very hot, and I was miserable all summer long. And I just kept thinking to myself, man, why would anyone come here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a pastor in Seattle. It's going to be nice and temperate, and right. I'll be able to speak in English. <laughs> um, and so the whole trip, this is my attitude. Uh, I'm just waiting to get home, really. Uh, so it's kind of disapp- overall disappointing. Yeah. 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 Um, and and disappointing because of my own sin. Right. Really. My own selfishness and pride is driving all of this bad attitude. Right. Uh, well, because ultimately, you, at that point, you didn't go there for Japan. I did not. You went there for that girl, girl. who had no interest in me. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but she hadn't heard you preach yet and convert <laughs> millions of Japanese. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and so, uh, we... The last week of our trip was kind of debrief time. And our host wanted to take us to Mount Fuji. And so we left early in the morning, three in the morning, um, to go to be able to get to the mountain, climb up and climb down by the end of that day. And the driver of the car I was in um, fell asleep whilst we were driving. (laughs) (laughs) And we were on a bridge that was about 300 feet over this mountain ravine. Oh, my goodness. Um, she fell asleep, uh, and we hit, the, we hit the sidewall of the bridge, and the car flew up in the air. No. I don't think I've heard this story before. Really? Yeah. Um, the car flew up, and uh, as this is happening, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to die now. Right. Uh, and I was honestly kind of excited. I was, I was, I was, because you finally had your theology, right? Yes. I was happy. I was about to go see Jesus. Right. Jesus knows that I'm sick of my sin, that I long to be with him and not see him through these sin stained eyes. Right. Um, and you say that unsarcastically. I do. Yeah. I absolutely want to be with Jesus. Um, and so the car is flying through the air, and I'm thinking, I'm going to go see Jesus. And then we hit a fence post no, uh, on the side of the bridge and fall back upside down on top, onto the bridge. And had that fence post not been there? We would have gone right over. Oh, goodness. Um, and so the car's spinning and finally stops. It smelled so bad, and all I could think of this is not heaven. Because <laughs> it, it hurt a lot, right? Right. Um, uh, Furthering we, the disappointment of the trip. Yes. <laughs> so we get out of the car. Uh, a few of us were out cold. We had to pull each other out. And, How many people were in the car? Um, five people. And I assume the driver had woken up by that point. Yeah. Uh, I had to pull the driver out, and we had to kind of revive her. CPR? No. No, just like a face lap. Uh, but we went to various hospitals, depending on the degree of injury. Right. Uh, no one was hurt terribly bad, thankfully. Um, and so uh, we're at hospitals all day. We get back very late that night to Tokyo. 
and we are all in the church building, and the pastor, uh, who was in the car in front of us when we flipped, said, let's just pray. And so we started praying, and he said, God, thank you so much that we're all still alive. And I thought to myself, why in the world am I still alive? Right. God knows I want to be with him. Right. Why is he giving me breath right now? Right. And the only answer I could think of um, comes from 2 Corinthians 5, the passage that God used to save me. It says, we are therefore ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Um, That is the reason all Christians are here. That's why God just doesn't translate us up to heaven the minute we come to Christ. Mm. We are here because we have this gospel message to bring to people who, who haven't heard it. And that was an immediate realization to you? Pretty much. What did that mean to you in the moment? Like, what did you think? Oh, okay, God still has me here. Then I'm going to... It meant there was a purpose for oh, me okay. being here. So there wasn't an action plan per se, but it no. it, it, it it answered the purpose question. Exactly. Of what in the world? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I now know why God is giving me breath. Right. Why that fence post was there. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm his ambassador and there's something for me to do. And so you had heard the verse before, obviously, but that part of the verse then resonated with you all that much more. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the very next day, I was reading through, I was doing my daily Bible reading, and I was in Acts chapter 17, which is Paul in Athens. And he had gone ahead of his companions um, to Athens. His plan was to wait for them wait there for them to join him and then they were going to start evangelism. But as he's walking around the city, he sees idols everywhere and says his spirit was provoked within him. And Paul just has to start preaching. He preaches in the streets, in the marketplaces, (laughs) at the synagogues, anywhere people will listen to him. He's preaching the gospel because this idolatry he sees all around him has provoked him. Jesus Christ is worthy of worship and he's not being worshipped here. So I have to preach. And I'm reading this on the fifth floor of a building in Tokyo. And as I'm reading, there is a matsuri happening down below. A festival. Okay. Happening in the street below. And all the people in the city were out. Everyone was out in the street. And they were all carrying Idols. idols on their shoulders. Lifted up on golden thrones. And my heart just broke. Hmm. At the lostness of the people. At the fact that Jesus isn't worshipped there. And uh, so I knew my purpose was to be an ambassador. And now I was seeing firsthand the incredible need for the gospel in Japan. And and that's when I decided to come back as a full-time missionary. Like that, that day? That day. That day. Uh, was it that clear that day to you? Or it, were you just like, oh, I really got to tuck this away. And this is, if I, if I can't think of anything else that I really should do instead of this, this is what I'm going to do. No, that day I was... Like the proverbial clouds parted and yeah, said, right here. I was determined to get back to Japan from there. I went back and finished school. Right. And I uh, met my wife, Chie, mm-hmm. who is Japanese. And she was reluctant to date me. Because when she came onto campus two years later, everyone was like, oh, you're from Japan? 
You should talk to Tim. He's the Japan guy. So, oh, so you you were that annoying kid, t- like researching all this Japanese yes. culture after that mission yeah. trip. You're like, do you guys know how sharp samurai swords are? <laughs> yes. And how athletic sumo wrestlers are, and how 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 superior karate is. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, at some you point mean, you figured you mean, <laughs> you mean karate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was me. I was the the annoying Japan kid, and so everyone was like, Not "Oh, Chia, you should go adult. talk to Tim." And she's yeah. like, "I really don't want to talk to Tim." But eventually, I talked to her, uh, and uh, uh, so this this was at the master's college. Yep, we started dating our senior year and got married a year after graduation. Got engaged at Disneyland. Yeah, yeah. You were there? Uh, No, I remember you showing me the ring, like right before you were going to go. I didn't know you that well then. Yeah. Yeah. To to clarify, what twenty minutes into the conversation, (laughs) Tim and I are good friends, known each other for. A long what? time since almost, you had hair. Almost twenty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, hair and eyebrows. Yeah, mind you. <laughs> I was going to ask you about Chie. Um, how much of your your pursuit of her was because she was Japanese, um, like from Japan? Honestly, not too much. Um, uh, there was. I mean, that was always in the background, kind of. Yeah. Um, that. I want to go to Japan. She is Japanese. She was wanting to go back to Japan at that time. For missions? Uh, with yeah. a missions mindset? Yeah. And so it just kind of fit. Mm-hmm. But... But that was more convenient than it was a yeah, driving force. Yeah. yeah. She was babe. <laughs> <laughs> and and we were... We had become really good friends and I just... I just is that what you told her? Yeah. <laughs> No, we had become really good friends, and I just didn't want... I, I loved her, and I didn't want to... Live without her. Live without her, yeah. Huh. So I asked her to date me, and she rejected me three times. <laughs> hey, man, I know how that is. I've asked my wife out twice, and she didn't even say yes. It still hasn't, but we got married, so yeah. we're good. Same here. <laughs> A couple of losers. So yeah, so you met GA, got married a year after college. Uh-huh. And uh we wanted to start raising support to Japan right away. Uh but my mom was dying of cancer. And so Was she already diagnosed at that point? She was. Uh, she had battled on and off though. Yeah, before, right? for about fifteen years on and off. Okay. But um, never went in full remission. No. Okay. It would hide sometimes. And so we we stuck around um until mom died. This was in 07, mm-hmm. and she was able to get to know her grandson a little bit, which was a blessing. And you had Mitski how long after marriage? Uh, a year, let's see, our first anniversary, she was six months pregnant. Okay. So. Okay, so a couple of years after yeah, marriage. Yeah, Okay. He was born. Yes. He, he was born in 05. Okay. And so we moved up to Seattle to be close to my mom. My mom died in 07, and we started raising support. And we started actually raising support. Oh, that's a fun age for your mom to get to enjoy with Mitski, too. Yeah, yeah. Up to two years old, yeah. It was such a blessing. And, yeah, precious photos of them together, and Mm -hmm. it was great. But um, after mom died, uh, we started raising support. and, And we began support raising just as... The housing bubble was bursting, and the economy was tanking. Uh, and so 
Huh. It was a discouraging time. Probably 90% of the churches and people we talked to turned us away. Did they, did they have like all the same refrain of like, sorry, the economy's going no down, money giving's right now. going down. Everyone's yeah. laid off. Yeah. Did any of them say like, if you had come to us a year or two ago, it would be different? A couple of them. Yeah. Or, you know, call us when things start rolling again. Huh. Um, and, you know, churches were struggling to keep the doors open back then. Sure. Some of the smaller churches. Paying rent, whatever yeah. else, yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't blame them. Yeah. But it was discouraging. Yeah. Uh, and so from 07 to 2012, we were raising our initial support to get to Japan. 07 to 2012? Yep. <clears throat> I didn't realize it was that long. Okay. It was. Um, well, 2012 is when we left. So really, oh seven to late, and you were working two thousand eleven. Yeah, I was working full time, full time uh, at at Microsoft. Okay, which heard is of it. A difficult balance to work full time and raise support. Yeah, um, but uh, like it almost becomes like a side hustle. Yeah, it really does, and and you know you got to travel a lot. We tried to raise most of our support on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Oh, because then it'd be easier to visit those churches exactly, between exactly. Japan and here. Okay, but it it's hard to get down to LA and things when you have full time work. Right, because then and then you're either choosing am I going to take a vacation this year or just go and race exactly the right exactly, um, and so that's what we did. And uh, when we finally made it to Japan, it was just such a relief to be done. With the initial fundraising. Sure. Um, we were so happy to be there. So excited to be there. And you in what, you were in what city when you first went? We were in Tokorozawa, which is just outside Tokyo. Okay. Like um, it's a it's a suburb <clears throat> of it? Basically. Like do people from... What, what city was it? Toko- to- Tokorozawa. Tokorozawa. Yeah. Do they sit... Like if they travel somewhere else, do they just say that they're from Tokyo? Um, pre- pretty much, yeah. Okay. Um... It's hard, it's hard to say suburb of Tokyo because the suburbs have like, suburbs. Yeah. Oh, okay. A suburb will be like three million people. Sure. You know? Okay. Um. But uh, but that's where we were for that first year, um, and you know there was a little realization uh, after we got there, after we got settled, after things were rolling. That, oh man, we're not done raising support. Mm. Um, did you not have a number to hit before that, or did we you did. just kind of change your focus and just say, "Let's just get over there"? Uh, that that's exactly what we did. Actually, we had a well. It's kind of a long story. So we were with a certain organization, a missionary organization, uh, and had been for all the years we were raising support since oh seven. Yeah, and then uh, a pastor in the Seattle area who was upset with me um, for sinful reasons. Okay. Um, His own sinful reasons? Yeah. Not not because of sin that he saw you no, in? Okay. No. I'm not saying that I don't sin, but no. <laughs> in, that, in, in, in this, <laughs> in this instance, circumstance, yeah. yeah. He and, was sinning. Yeah. And he contacted our organization the sending board and and gave them a list here are all the reasons Tim should not be in Japan um, and so 
the sending board got that list and then sent me an email that said, please resign. Hmm. Uh, and I was, I was mad. I was really angry that they wouldn't at least come talk to me first. This was in 2012, right? When you had gotten uh, there? This is 2011. Oh, okay. So right before. Um, I was angry, probably sinfully angry at that pastor. Mm. Um, we've since reconciled, he and I. Oh, good. But, um, but they asked us to resign and I was very willing to say sure because I was mad. They hadn't, they hadn't even talked to me. Right. They just saw they didn't this, do their due diligence. They just or... saw this slanderous right. comment and, and, and said, hey, he you should resign. Did he have with that organization? No. No, it was, it was, the whole thing was odd. And so we, we talked to them and said, uh, if I resign, what happens to the fund that we've been building? Right. Which was about $80,000. Right. And they said, oh, that's ours. And I said, you know, we've been raising the support for years now. Right. And people have been giving to see us in Japan. Right. Not for you. Right. And so we came to a compromise. We would use that that fund to get us to Japan and get set up for a year. We went as short-termers with this organization. And then within that year, if we could find... an awkward year to like continue to work with them? Or is it just kind of like, no, okay... No, because the Japan office had nothing to do with anything oh. that happened over here. And so... And the deal was if we could find a different organization to move to within that year, they'd transfer all the funds over for us. Oh, okay. Um, and so we came to Japan as short-termers. And we had a... A wonderful time uh, in that first year with the Japanese side of that mission mm. um, and um, well I said we had a wonderful time that first year yeah and we did but it was also a frustrating time because and, of the, bureauc- the because of the interaction with I was going to call it bureaucracy but it wasn't necessarily bureauc- but interacting with the agency that yeah, you were yeah. um, not and, happiest and with. a lot of it is bureaucracy okay sure okay. Um, but it was kind of a disillusioning time um, because we got there we wanted to be church planters we want to plant churches that's what we've always said we're going to Japan for mm-hmm. that's what they told us we would be doing and when we got there they said oh we're not planting any churches right now Mm. Um, what had happened is back in the 50s and 60s all the big organizations post-war um, were seeing just hundreds of converts and planting churches all over the country of Japan of Japan but there was a a real failure to train Japanese leaders for the church mm. and to train the next generation um, so seminaries weren't built. Um, did so then? Did Japanese people at that time, and this may have implications for what we talk about later, but did they see it as like, oh, the Americans won the war, like it's like a Western a welcoming of Westernization, mm-hmm. and and a lot of them did, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, America was writing, rewriting the Constitution, and there was kind of uh, this sense that we're becoming more like a western nation now because we've been defeated was there a sense of humiliation on the Japanese yeah. that felt like they had to accept that absolutely okay um, and that's kind of built into their culture okay the shame like the honor the shame honor. Or, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and so how many of those post-war converts were sincere I can't say sure but there were a lot of them yeah and praise God for that yeah 
and church grew and a lot of the guys that came back as missionaries were soldiers and sailors who had fought in the war mm. uh, and some of them are, are heroes of mine but they weren't trained church planners yeah there were some of them were gifted evangelists um, some of them started great summer camps things like that but they weren't church planners and so the church in Japan has suffered due to that because they weren't training Japanese exactly. nationals. But they had a heart for the people because when they were fighting the war, they saw the people and yes. thought like, oh man, my heart goes out to these, these people. people. need Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's exactly what it was. And, um, and so since mid-70s, uh, when a lot of those guys retired and left, um, the church has been in rapid decline in Japan. Um, Thousands of churches that are just pastorless right now. Uh, like church buildings? or church, church groups. People meeting every mm-hmm. week for worship yeah. and having no pastor. Mm. No one to preach to them. Um, because and, they don't know how to pick up that baton. Yes. And their whole pastor has retired or died. Right. And there's just no one else to come after them. Um, the church in Japan is about 82-83% female as well. Um, right. So there's just a lack of guys and a lack of qualified guys. Right. Um, and, and so the church in Japan is in a very sad state. Um, and a lot of the big agencies feel responsible for those churches that they started 20-30 sure. years ago. And so what's happening is new missionaries are coming into the country... And getting planted into, plugged into a dying church in a discouraging situation. Mm. And most of those churches aren't looking to change. They're, they're insular. They don't really need, feel the need to grow or do outreach. And being insular is, is a little bit Japanese within Japanese yeah. culture too, right? Oh, it's yeah. knitted into the fabric. Absolutely. Like this church that's been the same people for the last 20 years... That's our community. That's our group. And they're even suspicious of outsiders. Someone come to visit the church. Yeah, even Christians. Oh, yeah. So is it also like, because it would seem to me that, um, I, I would think like even in America, and obviously the context is completely different, but if the pastor is gone and that sense of leadership that I at least I'm familiar with is gone, mm-hmm. like there would just be this drifting, spiritual drifting. I'm like, I'm not going to be a part of the church anymore. Like this is excuse me, no longer for me, but is there, like, are, are people just sticking it out? Yeah. Um, the church is kind of their community. A lot of them, a lot of people in Japan, when you get baptized, this, this is especially true um, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. Once you get baptized, you get uh, disowned by parents. Mm. Your spouses leave you. Um you get shut out from certain aspects of society. Uh, Explicit because of because it's Christian. Shintoism and Buddhism are so ingrained in the culture; they're in everything, and there are just certain things that Christ, certain Christians feel um, I shouldn't do that. Mm. Kind of like the question of the Corinthians eating meat sacrificed to right. idols. Right, and so. There's there's a little bit of a voluntary separation, 
And then there's the involuntary separation of just family and friends saying, you're a Christian, that's too weird for me, mm-hmm. and shutting you out. And so the church really becomes a separate community, and really strong bonds grow within that church. So right. even though the pastor leaves, that group is still together. Oh, because cause they all have a similar experience of like, hey, almost like we're all we got. Yeah, pretty much. And, and and normally, there's not another church you can go to within, mm. you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 miles. Right. Um, okay. Which is, a, I mean, that doesn't sound like far in America. It does in Japan. Oh. People don't travel very far yeah. from home. Like, they, their daily lives are within a smaller radius than yeah. American lives. Yes. Um. So, so th- then that sense of persecution, it may not be violent, but it is uh, lonely. Yes. And lonely is a really good word for it. Um, which is why the church needs to be there. Hmm. To be presented to people as a new family, a new community. Like that, that's a, for lack of a better word, that's a pain point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you were saying though then in the uh, that the state of the church um, because you were kind of going along with the timeline of when you first yeah. went there and yeah so the state of the church was that all these pastors who were World War Two vets right had left or gone away or, or died right and so new missionaries yeah are being put into these really hard really discouraging situations. And the attrition rate for missionaries to Japan is more than 50%. Mm. Um, So there are only about 5,000 missionaries in the country. Um, So 5,000 is not very many people. And it's even fewer than 5,000. It's 5,000 if you count families, you know. Okay. So husband, wife, kids. kids. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're counting one family as one missionary unit, then it's closer to... 27, 2800. Okay. Which is smaller than my high school graduating class. <laughs> um, that's, that, I, I don't know if that, anyways, that, that's, that either means that your high school graduating class was huge, it was or, very or, or the number of missionaries in Japan are really small. Or both. It's both. And so, our desire, our passion is to see new churches planted. Some churches, when a new church moves into a neighborhood, um, it has a revitalizing effect on other churches nearby. Mm. Um, the more Christians, the more disciples are being created in a community, the better it is for every church that touches that community. Especially if we can cooperate and work together, which is difficult in Japan because the Christian population is so small that they f- there's this natural competition between churches. If you lose one or two people oh. to a church moving in down the down the road, that's a huge loss for a church of 20 people, which is the average size. Do they think competitively like that? They do, unfortunately. Okay. Um, so when we... And, and proximity is a big enough reason for somebody to switch a church. Yeah. Like, it's not like, oh, I've known you guys for 10 years... This church well, moved a block away, or came in a block away, but I'm still going to be with you because I've known you for 10 years. It's no, more like... it'd be more like the kind of peripheral people who maybe show up oh, okay. a couple times a week, or a couple times a month. Okay. 
um, the the really dedicated loyal people would never switch. Okay. There's a strong sense of loyalty. But there's that fear in the pastor. Like, mm. um, these guys are paying my rent. Oh. And I only have 12 people in this church. Right. And we're already struggling, so if I lose a couple key people... So the comp- sense of competition is more on, like, it, it's like just the, the dollars and cents, the economics of it. Yeah. Not for a sense of greed, but for a sense of uh, survival. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, for instance, when we decided on where to plant the church plant that we're working on now, we marked out the five closest churches and went to just introduce ourselves. And there's no one within... There's no church within probably 30 blocks of us. This is what you're currently doing. Yes. Okay. And... uh, the first guy we went to introduce ourselves, he didn't even say anything. He just pulled out this big map of our city. <laughs> and he had a highlighted area of the city. He said, this is mine. Huh. As long as you don't come in within these blocks, yeah. then we'll be fine. So that's kind of the territorial competitiveness that we're... Interesting. And, and it really is because, like, if you take away any of my monthly donations... Yeah. Yeah. Then I don't know if this church will continue. That's a big part of it. Hmm. Yeah. And do they ever consider joining? Um, we or combining. We have invited pastoralist churches to do that with us, mm-hmm. um, but they don't. Uh, Is it uh, the unfamiliarity, like the foreigner that's aspect? A big part of it, and and uh, Is it because you're white. N- n- maybe. Maybe. That that may be like forty percent of their decision. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, the sixty percent it could be reasonable too, in the sense of like, I don't know what you're going to do to disrupt how exactly. I'm currently doing things, exactly. right? And, and there's real resistance to change. Okay. In the Japanese culture, broadly, right, and just in in normal life, right, people really resist change, and things have been going fine for the last thirty years, um, and, and so. To have someone come in and say, hey, you want to join us? is just odd. Right. Like some, some Americans may get an exhilaration or yeah. invigoration. In, it may invigorate them. Yeah. But Japanese will find it like, you're threatening my familiarity. Exactly. In my routine. Exactly. Um, and so there's a lot we have to fight against, even within church culture in Japan. Yeah. While planting. Um, but... um. So how how that falls into the storyline of of how cuz that kind of fast forwards us to to where we are today. Yeah. So in 2011 2012 you were kind of transitioning from that right. other agency and right and, and, we and were, in Japan on a short term spot starting in 2012, right? Right. We were we were at this big agency and actually as our year was coming to a close they asked us to stay on with them. Hmm. And I said, will we be allowed to plant a church? And they said, no. And so I said, sorry, no. Thank you. No, thank you. Um, But during this time, we had met um, this missionary from the city of Nagoya, which is the third largest city in Japan. It's about 7 million people, um, which is larger than the population of Tennessee. (laughs) <laughs> the, the things that missionaries find out like facts 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 spouting yes you, know, you gotta do it for the presentations um 
so we had met this this missionary from Nagoya, church planner from Nagoya, and I had asked him about a seminary that I'd heard about down there. I just asked if he knew what was going on there because exciting things were happening at this seminary. And he looked at me and said, oh, I started that seminary. Huh. And I thought, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, so we got to talking, and he invited me down to Nagoya to meet his team. Is he a white guy? Uh, he is. Okay. But he smells Japanese. And what does that mean? Well, he lives there, so... Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> we should tread carefully so that there's not like any misrepresentation of things okay, or sorry. analogies that are not fair or appropriate, <laughs> but like, what does that mean if you smell, like when I think of, okay, so I heard one guy say like, oh, this smells like my grandma's house and it okay, turned out that sure. it was mothballs, right? Yeah. Because yeah. like a lot of Asians immigrated That's what over. you associate with Right. House. So w- when you say that he smells Japanese, like, does he smell like teriyaki green tea <laughs> no uh he he's more japanese in his thoughts and actions than he is american he's lived in japan longer than he lived in america mm. he raised all his kids in japan right he like if i if, if i saw him on a screen and i and I just watched his mannerisms. I didn't hear how he spoke or whatever. Uh-huh. Then I would say his mannerisms do not look American. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Is that what you mean by he smells? Yeah. Like you, you, yeah. Just, you, you said that uh, not literally, figuratively. Yeah. Okay. He, a Japanese pe- person would be very comfortable hanging out talking with him. Right. Like the nonverbal communication yeah. is more precisely Japanese yeah, than it is. Yeah, absolutely. Although, where he was born. Although his Japanese language. It's funny because you can hear his Tennessee accent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it has a little bit of that, uh, yeah, so- southernness. Yeah, which is endearing to yeah. people. But, um, he's but, a- but because he still speaks clearly enough. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He knows the language. He's very fluent. Um, so he invited us down to Nagoya. We met the team. We came a couple times on a few visits, and then the team invited us to join them. Okay. Uh, and so we moved down to Nagoya in 13, 2013. And uh, I, I went straight into language school. I wasn't allowed to do language school that first year because we were technically short-termers and it wasn't oh. in the budget, which was a real shame to waste that year not, sure. s- not studying Japanese. Um, so I immediately went into language school, intensive, five days a week, um, six hours a day language school. Mm. And I did that for two years. And then during that, that same time, I was also uh, the college minister at the church in Nagoya that, uh, that Wayne had planted the guy. The, the, the Tennessee. Yep. And uh, that's where... I really got the practical language, just hanging out with college students. Sure, yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, it's a fun job. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, but I didn't get to practice formal Japanese very much, uh-huh. which affects my sermons today. Oh. And sometimes I get yelled at by church grandmas mm. for not talking as Because you can communicate, yeah, you can communicate well with the upcoming generation. But yeah, the yeah, yeah. older generation is going to be like, you speak like a, a yeah. young punk. Why are you talking to me like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you kind of do it ignorantly. Yeah. 
And I just say, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Please, yeah. please teach me. <laughs> it's like the stock phrase that GAs yes. <laughs> helps you remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, so I spent five years as a college minister there. Okay. And, um, and that was what years? 13 through... 18. 18. Oh, so just last year. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that experience was fun it was eye-opening it was discouraging at times it was encouraging at times mm-hmm. um, it was really beneficial for me in understanding kind of the topography of missionary work in Japan if that makes sense mm, explain a little bit what you mean um, like you just talking about like the ups and downs, the, yeah. the, the difficulties, and the just what to expect in this yeah. process of sure. discipleship and pre-discipleship, kind of like the routines, the seasons of, yes. of what life is like as a yeah. missionary in, in Japan. Okay. Typically, how long it takes for a person to he- hear the gospel between the time they first hear and the time they are baptized, yeah. uh, which is typically about five or six years. Yeah. And we only have college students for four years. Huh. Um, but, um... So at that point, it's just planting seeds. <laughs> it is. It's a lot of seed planting. And that was a major... Because Nagoya is a big college town, right? Yes. Huge college town. Um, uh, that was a major um, shift in my thinking. Uh, a lot of this is just planting seeds. I'm not going to see a huge harvest here. Mm. We do praise God see some converts yeah. a couple one two three a year yeah um, but the nature of the population is just so transient absolutely but it, and it's hard too because it's it almost seems or I would guess that those who are more open to the gospel are the college students because young people tend to be yes. open to ideas yeah but they're the ones who are also transient and so exactly. your uh, softest soil in that sense is not there not consistent right college is a very unique time in a Japanese person's life they've worked really really hard to get into college there are certain tests in junior high and high school that you have to do well at to get into a good school right like there's not the same freedom that in the the American system you can rise up out of the ground you're basically on rails from first grade it's predetermined they're evaluating you and and guiding your future basically um and companies don't really look at how well students did in college just that they got a degree from a prestigious school okay and so college these these college kids have worked all their lives to get into college and they know they're going into this crazy work culture where they're going to be working 80, 90 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have these four years where they don't have to study very hard. Sure. And they know... Like seize get degrees type of a mindset. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they're more free during college than any time in their lives. Huh. Except maybe retirement. That must be so frustrating for college professors. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I know some. And they're like... I've gotten a call from a college professor who's like, hey, is this student... At your church right now playing ping pong or something? <laughs> <laughs> He's supposed to be in class. <laughs> he just missed my lecture. He yeah. needed to be here. Um, 
but uh, it's just such a unique time and such a, an opportunity to bring the gospel to bear on sure. people's lives. Well, because they 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 have a capacity and a, and an attention span that's yeah. probably the most free that they'll ever have. Because once they get a job after college, then it's a very heavy work culture. Right? Yes, very heavy. I I have a couple guys that I meet with. Um, just what's the word for salary man? What <laughs> salary? We call them salary man. Uh, they uh, work business, you know, office workers. Oh sure, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you threw me off, and I don't even know how to use an American phrase. But keep going, <laughs> salary man. Guys that work <laughs> that who are not hourly, but yeah, the, yeah, okay. And we have to meet either at like four thirty in the morning mm-hmm. or after eleven at night because that's when they're free. Yeah, what's the normal work day and work uh, week in terms of hours? Um, they, they actually just had to pass a law. Too many people last year died of exhaustion. And so they passed a law limiting overtime to, I think, 100 hours a month. Per person? Per person. 100 hours a month. So it's 25 hours a week. Overtime. Of over just overtime. Of overtime, and is overtime defined as more than forty hours? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So consistently, people are working sixty to seventy hours a week yeah. at least. At least. And so that means twelve hours a day if they're only working Monday through Friday. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Okay. And so they're gone. Fathers are gone from their home. Um, the The other aspect is to show that you're part of the team, to show that you have unity with your work team you've also got to go out after work with all your guys mm. um, drinking or karaoke or whatever um, it hurts me to say karaoke with an American accent you don't have to but I may, <laughs> I may not understand all the words that you say with a Japanese accent there's no subtitles here um, go ahead and say it in, 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 with, ka- in Japanese karaoke <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, and so guys aren't getting home till two in the morning sometimes. Yes. Um, and they just fall asleep on the couch and wake up the next morning and off to work. Right. And that's life. And a lot of these wives are staying because loyalty is such a high value. Yeah. Yeah. But relationally, there, there's, there's very little. Very little. Very little. And it's it's really sad thing to see. But this younger generation, who grew up with no fathers. Who grew up with mom and dad not getting along. Yeah. They are rebelling against that. Mm. And so it's huge for Chia and I in college ministry. Uh, we get questions all the time. How do you have a happy marriage? Yeah. How do you, why do you love each other so much? How do you hang out so much? And, and, and the answers to these things are often fighting against culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But there's a desire now amongst the younger generation to change that culture hmm. of overwork, of exhaustion, of family separation. So they admire you guys. They do. Um, and I don't, I, I'm not saying that proudly. Right. Well, it's, a, it's pressure, right? Yeah. It's just a, a model, an example they haven't seen yeah. before. And so we do teach, like, marriage classes and parenting classes to college students who aren't even engaged because mm. that's what they really want yeah. to hear and to learn they, they just they know that it has been missing in their lives yes. and they feel this 
kind of fundamental void. Yeah. And so that is a great opening for the gospel. Mm. Because we're not, we don't have a perfect marriage because we're such great people. Right. Uh, we have a good marriage, a solid marriage. Right. Because of the grace of God. Right. Because of the fellowship we share in Christ. Right. Um, and so that's one way of, of reaching out to this younger generation who, who does desire a change, a cultural shift. Yeah. I mean, it, there is something to be said too, right? Like, your parents were together until your mom died. Yeah. And Chie's parents are still together. Yeah. And uh, to have that uh, modeled for you is, is huge. It's enormous. And, yeah. I mean, but that that's true with even non-believing families, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, but the the enduring strength from what you're saying yes. is is gospel-based. Yes. Is gospel-driven. Yeah. Uh, my wife can treat me with grace when I sin yeah. against her because right. she knows the grace of God. Right. Um, she knows that my sins have been paid for and so she doesn't have this desire to make me repay for my sins. Mm. You know? Yeah. So to that end, you, you have kind of... Uh, <clears throat> A blank canvas, right? Uh-huh. Because they're not saying, oh, I know how to have a happy marriage because right. I, I saw secular people do it. So, you know. They don't know. And they've never had that example of a healthy marriage right. in their lives. Um, I mean, and I guess I, yeah, I keep thinking about it as you're talking in that it's the idea of that sometimes we are all too satisfied with what isn't God, right? Oh, yeah. And it's like the, uh, the sense of, oh, I... I'm, you know, it's it's okay to be on social media. It's not evil, right? But we need to sometimes realize that we're too easily satisfied with that and not actively enough pursuing what is greater. Exactly. And when we seek and find satisfactions, satisfaction in things mm-hmm. other than God, we will find it to a degree, but not to the extent which we can find satisfaction in Christ. Right, right. Because those things too shall pass. Yeah, of course, it's Ecclesiastes. Right. Um, so that that becomes... Uh, uh, how long did it take you... Well, okay, so part of what you were saying is that you've, you're learning the rhythms, you're also learning the culture, kind of the, um, the pain points that are unique to Japanese culture. Uh-huh. Uh, but you're, you are also in yourself learning... Um, an amount of patience that most <laughs> I, I'm going to guess that most missionaries don't go over kind of like you, you, your, your story of you in college right uh-huh. like I'm going to go over there um, <laughs> missionary words that are so eloquent and so amazing <laughs> even though I don't know the language and I'm going to convert a million people in a half hour Yeah. Um, and so you've learned a level of patience that you probably wouldn't have been able to learn the same way. Yes, and and just contentment in in Christ. And no uh, theologically speaking, I am a Calvinist, um, which provides such comfort to mm. me in a very hard mission field. If yeah. I if I believed like uh, like my Wesleyan friend in Nagoya right now that people's salvation 
rested on my eloquence or my ability to to argue them into the kingdom, I would be devastated. Mm. But I take comfort in the fact that um, Scripture teaches, uh, as an ambassador, I speak out in the voice of my Lord. And it's like Jesus said, when my sheep hear my voice, they will know it. Right. All, all my job is as ambassador is to spread that news, spread that gospel, to tell people that this is who Christ is, this is what he's done. Turn to him, repent of your sins. And whether or not they do that is not up to me. Right. And so I can rest in the fact that Jesus has already died for many people in Japan. They're just waiting to hear about it. Yeah. Right? Uh, in Second Timothy, Paul said, uh, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul says, I endure all this for the sake of the elect so that they can find salvation. So he's talking about elect people who aren't saved yet. Mm. The reason Paul can endure everything he endured is because there are elect people just waiting to hear the gospel. Yeah, That's my hope. That's what I can rest in, in missionary work. That's the basis of my patience. Mm. I know Christ has saved some people here. Mm-hmm. They're just waiting to hear. Yeah.